Well, it's great to be with all of you here today. I'm just coming back after taking a couple of weeks off because back on April 9th, my wife Erin gave birth to our second son. Here's a little picture I took of him here coming up. <clears throat> Thank you. In keeping with the theme of naming our kids after some of our fa uh, favorite uh, Christian leaders and writers, we named this guy after C.S. Lewis, and uh, C.S. Lewis's first name was Clive, so this is Clive Moses Ripper in the house, <laughs> flexing his biceps already at a young age. Looking good, my man. He and uh, my wife Erin are both doing great. Our 21-month-old son Dallas had a little bit of a rocky start to having his brother in his life. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, over the last uh, week or so, there's been some good transformation. Now he wants to be best buds. But we'd just love to say a huge thank you to all of you who have been praying for us, encouraging us. As I have said here before, this is the kind of church that not only knows how to mourn with those who mourn, but knows really well how to rejoice with those who rejoice. So we want to thank you. And as a quick caveat, if I happen to say something that sounds a little off today, Let's just chalk it up to the lack of sleep that I'm getting because of Clive. We'll blame it on Clive today, all right? So uh, but we've got a great day ahead, and today we're continuing our series, Unbroken. Uh, it's a teaching series all about how Jesus can take the broken parts of our lives, our stories, and our world and forge them into something beautiful, something that gives God great glory and something that is really good for the world. So if you find yourself wherever you are today, hurting in some way, maybe feeling restless or unsettled or disappointed. And I truly believe this message is for you. So often when we experience trials or hardships, they can feel pointless or meaningless, maybe worthless. And sometimes in our broken world, that really can be the case. But sometimes our pain is merely a transition period, a transition period that God wants to use to help us know him more and help us become more and more like him. As I just recently witnessed, sometimes our pain can be labor pain. Pain that is indicative that God might be bringing something new into your life. He might be wanting to do something new in and through you. So because this is possible, I want us today to both take courage and to take an honest look at our hurts and our heartache, our hurts and our heartache. But I want us to consider our hurts with hope. Because today, as we open up God's word and as we invite Jesus to touch our wounds, we are going to discover that there is an unexpected invitation to our most unwanted pain. And the unexpected invitation to our unwanted pain is fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with others. We'll look at those one at a time, but here's what I mean. In other words, the suffering that causes us sorrow can be the suffering that forges newfound solidarity in our relationship with Christ. The pain that we have in common it can be the source of our closest community. And the heartache that feels pointless can be the hardship that uncovers our greatest purpose as we accept suffering's invitation to fellowship with God and others. 
So to discover how this unlikely dynamic can be possible for you and possible for us today, I would like to invite us to turn to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, starting with chapter 1, as we discover what unbroken fellowship is all about. We'll start with verse 3 and follow along if you'd like on the screens or turn there in your Bibles. But as you do that, let me tell you a little bit about the author of this letter, the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was someone at first who was not on Jesus' side. In fact, he was en route to persecute followers of Jesus when Jesus stops him in his tracks, temporarily blinds Paul, and speaks audibly to him. And it was through this unforeseen trial that Paul underwent that Paul truly begins to see and to believe. And not only did Paul come to believe, but he went on to put his life on the line for Jesus to build his church again and again. And these endeavors brought Paul excruciating hardships and ultimately led to Paul's arrest and his death. Now, the hardships that Paul experienced were so varied, so comprehensive, that in several of his letters that he's written in the New Testament, scholars identify what they have called Paul's catalog of afflictions. His catalog of afflictions. To a certain degree, I think every single one of us has our own catalog of afflictions. Physical struggles, relational unrest, past mistakes, financial hardships, psychological battles, spiritual challenges. Life might seem so unfairly hard to you or to someone that you know and love. And it makes you wonder why. And it should. Now, if you can relate to what I'm sharing, then you can definitely relate to Paul. His list of hardships included imprisonments, beatings, shipwrecks, sleepless nights, anxiety for the church, continued threats, a thorn in his flesh, which many scholars believe could have been something physical like malaria or maybe blindness, which God did not take away from Paul, despite Paul's earnest prayers. So in these words of scripture that we are about to read, know that the person speaking here is not someone who's just spouting off some kind of theoretical idea, but someone who speaks from experience, experience with God. And what Paul discovered to be true can be true for you, no matter what public pain or secret suffering you're grappling with now. So let's listen to these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So here in these verses, God makes explicit the unexpected invitation inherent in our unwanted pain. Fellowship with God and fellowship with others. We'll look at each of these one at a time. So first, fellowship with God. The text begins with these stirring and hopeful words of worship describing who our great God is. Let's listen again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all of our troubles. Notice that Paul does not say that God comforts us in some of our troubles, but he is available and opens himself to us to provide healing and comfort in every single one of the troubles that we go through. Why is that? Because he is a compassionate God. To describe God as compassionate is quite different from describing God as empathetic. Empathy is the ability to relate with others and to be able to uh, relate to their feelings, the ability to recognize the suffering of others and just relate to their feelings. But this is not the same thing as compassion. Compassion is the ability to recognize the suffering of others and then take action to help. Compassion, in other words, is empathy with action. Not simply identifying with what others are going through, but doing something about it. Jesus does not merely want to relate to our pain empathetically. He desires to redeem it compassionately. That's really good news. And see, we can experience this kind of fellowship or communion with God in our pain because it is Jesus who is the one who has suffered like us. He is the one who has suffered with us. And ultimately, it is Christ who has suffered for us. Only he knows the depths of what we are experiencing. And only in him can the most life-giving, hope-instilling comfort be found. Our God is a compassionate God. Amen? Amen. And God is also a comforting God. Now, the Greek word here used for comfort is the word parakalesis. Would you say that word with me? Parakalesis. It's the word that we get uh, that describes the Holy Spirit. But here, this word is best understood as coming alongside. Coming alongside. Listen how the message translation of the Bible describes this verse. He, God, comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. God is the God who comes alongside us when we hurt. I can remember several years ago being at a worship gathering where one of the lead singers was going through a devastating struggle. And in front of the hundreds of people who were in the room, he broke down in tears. I wanted to jump on stage and embrace this person that I knew, but I didn't want to draw more attention to him than he already had. And so as I kind of grappled and contemplated with what to do, I'll never forget how the guitarist that night just gradually, tenderly made his way over to the singer. He came alongside him, placed his arms around him, wrapped him up and held him in an embrace for minutes while this person wept. And it led many of us, myself included, to weep at this very painful, yet absolutely beautiful sight because it was as if we saw Jesus in both of these men in that moment. And this has made me realize that that is exactly how God wants to come alongside each and every one of us when we're hurting. He wants to wrap us up in his loving, warm embrace. So how can we experience fellowship and comfort from our God of compassion? 
Well, we must first start by engaging and naming our suffering. Not ignoring it as we're so prone to do, not obsessing over it either, but naming and entering into it with God. So let me ask you this morning or today, what causes you to suffer? What causes you to suffer? A writer very familiar with extensive pain and hardship was a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. And she defines suffering like this in one of her books. Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Who on earth doesn't have something that they, who has something they don't want? Maybe you have a disease or a debt. Maybe loneliness or a significant loss. Maybe trauma or the feeling of being trapped in a situation you would like to get out from. Who doesn't have something they don't want? Or who doesn't want something that they don't have? Maybe a job that you love. Maybe relationships and friendships where you feel valued and known. Maybe family members who follow Christ. Perhaps it's healing. Perhaps it's a problem remedied or a past forgotten or a dream finally fulfilled. What do you want that you don't have? We all have these things, right? So here's my question for us then today. What if that something you have or don't have is actually an invitation that God is extending to you to experience a deeper relationship and fellowship with him? At least speaking from experience, turning to God when we're hurting is one of the hardest things to do. Trying to pray to him almost feels impossible. Yet it's the wisest thing that we can do when we hurt. And as I can say, it is the most necessary thing. I had to learn that the hard way. For those of you who might not know a lot of my story or my story and Aaron's story, we'd initially sensed God calling us to start our family through adoption instead of trying biologically. And although we discerned that this was what God was calling us to do, that whole process over years turned out radically different than what we had hoped. About this time, four years ago, we were just about to adopt a child here locally. And that didn't turn out how we had hoped. Then about three years ago at this time, we were just about to get ready to leave to travel internationally to try and adopt a sibling group. And that turned out far different than we could have imagined. And it devastated us. And the aftermath of that incredible disappointment, it was hard for us to start to pray, to even face God. And so prayer and my relationship with God took on many varied forms for me. 
Some days praying felt like entering into a cage match with God where I wouldn't hold back my anger and God wouldn't get phased by any of my attacks. And other days, prayer felt like nothing except white noise. As much as I desperately tried to connect with God, to try and sense that he was there at all, the only thing I heard from the other line felt like static. And it led me to actually think, maybe the reason God let this all occur is because he wasn't and isn't active in the world anymore. And that thought terrified me. Maybe you've thought that before. Well, what ultimately helped me break through my season of despair and enter into a more meaningful relationship with God out of the intensities of this grief was sitting for hours on end on this large beanbag couch that we had bought for the kids. It's really a beauty, isn't it? Now, couches like this are often used in therapeutic settings because the way that they feel on your body can help those who've gone through trauma experience more sensory reintegration. And so what we had bought for the kids ended up becoming one of the best helps to me in that time. So sitting down to pray in general can be really hard for me because I am a very wired, kind of distracted person by nature. But the great thing about this couch is, once you plop down in it, it's really hard to get out of it. (laughs) This is a nice vantage point. I should preach like this more often. Now what I would do is once a day, come down to our basement and just sit in this couch and try and do so for five to 10 minutes. At that time, I didn't feel like I could string together a sentence of prayer before God. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to, how to pray. But I just tried to be still and I would allow the, uh, all the emotions that I was trying to run from find me in my stillness. And it was intense and it was hard but just consistently doing that day after day, I started to sense God's presence around me much like this couch kind of enveloped me. I sense him leading me to surrender the dreams that we had had for adoption. To believe once again that he was good, that he knows more than what I can see from my own vantage point. And as we just took time, and I took time to be still and just sit in this couch and share with some others about how we were going through this and handling this, one day at a time, I started to get hints and glimmers of a little bit of joy returning to my life. I felt some of the weight of this being taken off my shoulders. And I started to sense God breathing new life back into me. And I started to believe God was telling me that this experience is not going to be wasted for you or for the kids, that there is more. And if you trust me, I'll show you what that might be. 
And a little later, I'll share, you, share with you some of the purpose that maybe has come out of this. But now for the moment, I'm gonna try and concentrate to get out of this couch. There <laughs> we go. Not a good idea to do that in front of a lot of people. It's an awkward couch. But while God never has given me answers to all the questions that I have asked him about these failed experiences, he did give me his attention and his affection. And it was comforting, unbroken fellowship with him. And that's what he wants to extend to each and every one of us, no matter what you're going through. Now, while prayer like this can be very intense and require a lot of focus, I don't want this moment to pass without inviting you into a moment to experience firsthand fellowship with God yourself right now. So for just the next minute or so, try to be still right where you are. I invite you to close your eyes. Imagine yourself in this beanbag couch yourself. Imagine Jesus coming alongside you, wrapping you up in his arms. And then offer these words to the Lord as I lead us through this guided prayer. Father of compassion and comfort, here are the wounds of my life. Here are my hurts. I invite you to name one or two of the ways that you might find yourself hurting right now. Father, here are my fears. What's causing you to be afraid now? Lord, I bring before you what I have that I don't want. And what I want that I don't have. Jesus, just as you invited your disciple Thomas to touch your wounds, I invite you to come alongside my suffering, to touch my wounds with your healing, tender, and loving hands. Meet with me. And now just imagine God coming right up to you, right alongside you and putting his arms on you. Imagine him hearing or saying these words to you. I love you. I am with you. I love you. I am with you. I am here. And receive that as truth. So Lord, we thank you that we can always meet you, our great, compassionate, comforting God. Amen. Amen. Now, I have personally found this 
an incredibly powerful way to pray. And so I want to invite you to pray that way as you sense the Lord leading you as well. This is a form of praying that has deepened my faith and my relationship with God as a direct result of suffering. I think I know God now in ways I never would have had it not been for some of these experiences. This is why author Eugene Peterson says, prayer is suffering's best result. Prayer is suffering's best result. So God extends this comforting fellowship to us when we hurt so that in turn, we may share the same kind of comfort to those around us. So let's look now at how the unwanted pain in our lives provides us with an unexpected invitation to fellowship and to comfort others. Let's uh, continue on here in 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, one of the reasons we talk so much about community here and joining one of our life community groups at Grace Chapel is because if even if we don't think we need it now, a time will come where every single one of us will need the presence of others in our lives. No matter how strong your personal faith is, you will need others. And that's why I am convinced that the church is God's greatest means, of the, one of God's greatest means of extending his compassionate comfort toward those who are hurting. And he wants to use you to be an instrument of comfort to those who are around you, both in the church and especially from those, for those who are outside of the body of Christ, both to be a giver and a receiver of God's comfort. But to do that, you need to have relationships of trust built often beforehand. So with that said, let's look now at how we can become the kind of comforting presence to others that God is inviting us to be. Here are just a few practical next steps any of us can take. First, slow down. Slow down. Ratchet back the pace of your life enough to be approachable, to have unhurried opportunities, to say more than just hello to your neighbors or teammates or classmates or friends or coworkers. Slow down. Second, pay attention. Often our body language says more about us than our words do. When someone says that they're doing fine, I can tell you from being married for a number of years, they probably aren't fine. <laughs> so pay attention. Be vulnerable. When someone asks you how they're doing, be open to sharing both a joy and a struggle that you're experiencing. Become appropriately vulnerable about your struggles to others, that they may feel safe and comfortable to open up to you about what might be going on in their lives. Next, be responsive. When someone in, in the office or your school goes through a, a crisis situation, as everybody inevitably does, be wisely as responsive as you can. Start by trying to meet whatever needs this person might have immediately. And almost always, Hurting people need the presence of people. Almost always, hurting people need the presence of people. So come alongside them when they hurt, and don't just do it immediately after the situation has occurred, but be a steady, faithful presence to be the kind of person you check in on others for years to come. Next, befriend, befriend. 
Nobody wants to be somebody else's project, do they? So come alongside others, and then this is so key. Let others come alongside you. Let yourself be loved so that you might be able to love others. Receive comfort from others so in the future you might be able to give comfort in return. If you want to discover deeper community, don't isolate yourself when you're in pain, but let others in. Better yet, invite them in. Next, share good news. Ultimately, if we are to share the pain of others, we must be able to gently and lovingly share the reasons for the hope that we have in Christ. How has God comforted you when you've gone through tough times? How has the good news of the gospel been good news to you? Share some of those reasons and help others see how the good news of the gospel might be good news for them here and now. Yet with that said, next, let your words be few. There's a great temptation that comes along uh, with, with caring for others, and that is to attempt to explain the reasons for somebody's pain or to give some kind of pat, cliched answer to their suffering that they're not asking for. Many problems in our world, they really don't have an easy explanation or an explanation at all yet. So don't attempt one. Instead, try to be the presence of Christ to those who are hurting. And then lastly, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Ask God for opportunities to extend his comfort to others. Pray for those you know who are hurting and actually pray with those the Lord has led you to come alongside. Ask him to help you be a constant comforting presence to others. I love how author Paul Turnier said, people confide their problems to us in accordance with our readiness to listen. So may we be prayerful, ready people. So as you look at these ways of how you might comfort others, what's the next step that you might take? And as you think of those in your life right now, who is someone that God might be drawing your attention to? Who might God be kind of nudging you to act compassionately toward or to come alongside Whose suffering might you enter into with? I want you just for a moment to think of maybe one person. And as a person comes to mind, I want you just to gently whisper their name as a way of lifting them up before the Lord. And I hope today we can pray for hundreds and thousands of people across our campuses. So take a moment now just to whisper someone's name. Amen. Well, here at Grace, we have some wonderful fellowships of people who give and receive the comfort they've received from the Lord uh, and each other, like grief share or divorce care or celebrate recovery or encourage prayer group, uh, cancer support and other prayer groups. And so if you're feeling drawn to receive care or perhaps be involved in caring or praying for others in the church community, I'd invite you to go to grace.org care to help take a next step. But before we wrap up, I'd just like to, uh, for us to revisit my couch here one more time. Now, after months of sitting in what I have called painful prayer, God not only 
brought comfort to my distress, but he started to reveal a newfound calling that was emerging out of it. I'm beginning to learn this, that today's pain often uncovers tomorrow's purpose. So may you find hope in that. Well, going back about two and a half years ago, it's November 2015, and I was preaching a sermon here at Grace on suffering. It was birthed out of a lot of what I had been learning from spending time on that couch with the Lord. It was about how suffering comes with the territory of following Christ and how God often uses hardship to advance his kingdom in powerful ways. And following the sermon, a longtime GC member and ministry partner, Paul Borthwick, approached me out in the Lexington lobby, and he said, you need to write this in a book. And that's saying a lot for somebody who has written 16 books. And some people kid around that Paul has written more books than he's read. (laughs) Well, to make a long story short, through the Lord's leading, Paul and I decided to write this book together. And after a couple of years of kind of trying to piece this project together, It is going to be coming out on May 15th through InterVarsity Press. And it's a book called The Fellowship of the Suffering, How God Shapes Us for, How Hardship Shapes Us for Ministry and Mission. It explores how we can live more fully and more faithfully despite the unwanted, unwelcomed presence of suffering in our lives that we all experience. And we No, we can do that because of the unexpected invitation that God has given to us that we've talked about today. The unexpected invitation to our unwanted pain is fellowship with God and with others. And as we talk about in the book, it's actually fellowship with the world, which is all about how the suffering that's caused by evil is best overcome by the suffering that's inspired through cross-like love. And if you'd like to hear more about that, we would love for you to come out to our launch party happening on May 24th here at the Lexington campus at seven o'clock. And we'd love for you to come celebrate and to come pray with us for the work of this book because in many ways, you, church, are responsible for this book. Here's what I mean. As we write in the preface, while Paul and I are the authors of this book, we are far from the only ones who have shaped its writing. In so many words, and so many ways, this church should be given much of the credit for its content. Because speaking personally, I can say that less than three years ago, I really had no idea if we were going to be able to bounce back from this devastating tragedy and tough chapter of our lives. Could we really remain in pastoral ministry? We didn't know the answer to that, honestly. But you, Grace Chapel, you stuck by us in so many beautiful and steadfast ways. You shared our pain. You prayed and prayed and prayed for us. You continued to remain our friends. You invited us into your homes and you kept calling me pastor when I didn't feel like one. You were and you are our fellowship of the suffering. So thank you. And my hope and prayer is that we can continue to be that in deeper and more powerful ways for every person who walks through our doors and every person who lives around us and for every person around the world. Our vision as we conclude in the book is this, that the more the church is transformed into a fellowship of the suffering, the more the world can be transformed by Christ's love. 
And I believe that with all my heart. And so today, I want to invite every single one of us to join this unbroken fellowship, this fellowship of the suffering with God and each other, all for the sake of our hurting world. And so may these words I'm about to share, which we end our book with, be true of us and true of you. I am a part of the fellowship of the suffering. I follow Christ not simply to be saved or to know just the power of the empty grave, but to live out all his ways, not just when it feels good like on Sundays, but when it hurts, when it's hard like on Good Friday. For without this day, his message of love could never get across because his message of love is a cross. Thus, to follow Christ is to share in his sufferings, the suffering that made a covering for sin so that all that has been might no longer be, but that all might step into the reality of what Christ calls eternity. While the offer is free, the price is high, which is why when Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Dying means denying my comfort, my fears, my ambitions, my wants. Dying means defying the ways of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Dying means crying over the injustices of those who go without and our personal pain within. Dying means unifying to come together, share burdens, alleviate ache all through our own heartbreak, and all with Jesus for his kingdom's sake. Dying means crucifying, like bread and wine being broken, poured out, and given so that every person on the planet could be made whole, filled, and truly start living. I am a part of the fellowship of the suffering, but I am far from alone. I stand on the shoulders of the giants of the past, the global church of the present, and the generations being raised up for the future until Christ comes again. But... I don't have to wait for his return to begin to learn how Christ might live if he was me. For he's shown that the way of life will inevitably lead up the hill called Calvary. For it is there in his woundedness and our own that suffering is overcome by suffering. And Jesus is truly, intimately, most fully known. We are a part of the fellowship of the suffering. Amen. Let's pray together. Well, we praise you and give you thanks for you truly are the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So Lord, may we not look to anything of this world to try and find consolation when we hurt May we not look to our own strength, but may we turn to you. I pray that every single one of us today will make that decision to turn to you when we hurt. But today I'm wondering if there's any out there who have never made that decision once to turn to the Lord, to look to him, to make him Lord and Savior, leader and teacher of your life. If that's you today and you're considering that, know that God loves you, that God is with you, that God is for you, and he wants to come alongside you because he loves you so much. If you want to make that commitment to him, just say, Jesus, I'm starting to follow you. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer because of your death and suffering for me. Thank you that you have 
been raised to new life and that you want to raise me to walk in new life with you. If that's you, I just invite you to say yes to God right now. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that you might open our eyes, slow us down, help us be aware of how we might be a force for good, a comforting force for good in the world. Help us to be great comforters and to extend the comfort that you have extended to us to others. So Lord, may your world be filled with the knowledge of you, personal knowledge of how great you are and of how loving you are toward each and every one of us. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and everyone pray together. Amen.